0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz drummer McClenty Hunter Jr. He talked about his latest 2018 CD, The Groove Hunter. This cat is a Grammy-nominated drummer who began his musical journey as a young artist in the church and went on to get his bachelor's degree in music education from Howard University and completed his master's at the Juilliard School. He's already performed with the icons in jazz like Lou Donaldson, Cedar Walton, Jimmy Heath, Buster Williams, and Curtis Fuller. And there is so much more to do. We discussed all of this and a lot in between. So please get to know him and dig this interview, my friends.
1: So thank you for taking a minute out for Neon Chazman. I appreciate it.
2: Hey, no problem. I appreciate the call.
1: Absolutely. So, let's go ahead and hop right into the Groove Hunter. Talk to me about this album and, and how you feel about it.
2: Well, I have to say, this album has been a long time coming. Uh, I came up with this idea for this album about three years ago. Started on it uh, roughly two years ago. I'm really happy, excited, because unfortunately, uh, the recording studio that I recorded it in is no longer existing, which is Systems 2, which is recorded so many great records. But anyhow... I was able to put together this uh, great uh, cast of uh, musicians. Man, I couldn't be more, you know, proud of how well it's been received between even having the honor to record with Dr. Eddie Henderson and uh, Donald Harrison. I mean, these guys are, you know, some of the guys that I've certainly looked up to over the years and be able to have blessed with Eric Reed. And so it's just been a great process for me. The idea, like I said, came from basically from that. And then they... Soccer helped me put the finishing touches on it. Now we have the masterpiece that we have the, that you're that you hearing today.
1: Talk to me a little bit about your childhood. Where were you born and raised?
2: Yeah, so I was born in uh, Detroit, Michigan. I got my gospel roots early on, um, like most, most of us, and uh, moved from there to uh, South Florida and stayed there for about three years. And then we actually ended up residing, went to high school in Columbia, Maryland, which is right smack in between in the middle of uh, Baltimore and D.C. Stayed there, and uh, that's where I really got a chance to really hone, hone in on my skills as far as just becoming a professional uh, under the leadership of uh, my then music director, Darren Atwater. So That's how a lot of my musical upbringing started was in the church.
1: And then you went on to get a bachelor's degree at Howard University in yeah and yep. a master's. Talk to me about what you learned, not only at Howard, but in your time in college about music.
2: Oh, sure. You know, it's funny. I did not learn how to read music, Joseph, until about I was 19 years old. You know, I grew up playing by ear. And so getting to Howard and actually being in uh, Washington, D.C., there's such a rich culture of talented musicians. Anybody from Donny Hathaway went to Howard, Roberta Slack, uh, uh, Jerry Allen, With Howard, Uh, so the the Jazz Ensemble was my stomping grounds, and I was fortunate enough that uh, uh, Mr. Fred Irby and Charlie Young, who are some of the main staples of uh, the music department, uh, were there to be able to help cultivate me and introduce me to jazz, because I hadn't really listened to jazz. I didn't even study jazz. Uh, I I was more of a gospel drummer, and so I kind of started to really hone in on my skills from going to school there, and just having, uh, great mentors who not only helped shape my musical career, but me as a, as a, as a person, you know, giving me some, uh, insight into what the music business was all about. So for, you know, and, and also with, uh man, Grady Tate. I mean, that's where I met Mr. Tate. You know, that's where it, it really, you know, and those lessons, man, were, <laughs> were hilarious. Like, we didn't really work out a book or anything like that. It was just more about, him telling me the stories and me trying to understand the vibe of the music. By that time he wasn't really playing uh drums too much. He was he was definitely doing more singing. And fast forward I was like, man, you know, I just, obviously I gotta go to New York. I'm gonna be a jazz musician, I gotta move to New York. And so I applied to Juilliard and the rest is history, man. I got an opportunity to really, to really get a lot more of my foundational uh language skills together um as far as the jazz in jazz idiom from carl allen and that's where i ultimately met eric reed as well you know i think i i came i just happened to be at the right place at the right time you know for sure
1: yeah that's half the trick absolutely so let me backtrack and ask what was the transition from gospel drumming to jazz was it difficult
2: oh yeah it really was you know it's funny i always knew even from my early age of living in detroit and my father listened to a lot of records, but not necessarily straight-ahead uh records. You know, I didn't really get, like I said, introduced to that until I, I was about 18, 17, 18 years old. Honestly, I didn't really understand the language too much. It, it was so much going on at one time. I guess, you know, from my gospel background, hearing more, like, strong melodies. and I should say hearing more strong melodies, but the melodies not being so, at that time for me, more abstract. It just took me a while to be able to decipher exactly what was happening in the relationship between, you know, the soloist and the rhythm section back and above. And so a friend of mine by the name of Eric, Eric Wheeler, was a great bass player from D.C., he was just like, you just got to keep listening. Just like anything else, learning a new language, you just got to, you know, engulf yourself into it. By me doing that, it, you know, eventually it started to make sense, you know, and I was mm. able to kind of get a grasp of what, what exactly what was going on. But it did take a, a little while. I could certainly remember being frustrated because I, I couldn't hear it.
1: You know, the one thing that's huge in the development of, of getting into jazz and getting a jazz brain are those early recordings you hear. What were some of the early jazz recordings that you heard that you remember?
2: Oh, wow. <laughs> so I probably started off a little bit too advanced. which is probably my, my biggest issue. But one of my first records was Bradford Marcellus's, uh requiem. Um and that's a great record. But you know, when you're listening to Jeff Tane Watts, who's playing the most modern uh language number one he's developed since the you know late eighties, early nineties, what I call, you know, jazz modern jazz drumming, um, to kind of start there, uh, was probably uh one of the things that kind of really hung me up early on. But after I got to Juilliard, I just started going back and listening to a lot of the old records. I mean, honestly, I can remember being there at the school and not being hip to all of the guys. You know, I'll tell you a funny story. I mean, Hank Jones was coming to the school. And uh, this is my first year in New York at the school at Juilliard. And, you know, everybody's all excited. Oh, man, Hank Jones is coming to the school next week. Oh, my gosh. And I can remember sitting there thinking to myself. Who's Hank Jones? Like, I had no idea. So, like, for me going to school and, and studying under um, Carl Allen, he was the guy that really introduced me to a lot of the early Max Rose records. records, um, you know, uh, the Clifford Brown, those, those classic recordings. And honestly, I, that's when I really started to go back even further for my jazz history class and checking out Louis Armstrong. I mean, I had to go all the way back to the basics, and so it really gave me a better sense of what was happening today because I had a stronger understanding of where the music came from. Definitely, from Ourselv,es is uh, Requiem. That was <laughs> it was probably one of my first ones I could always like to give credit to. Absolutely. Well, you
1: know, and the other thing that you learn quite a bit from is being around masters, like Lou Donaldson, Cedar Walton, Jimmy V, Buster Williams. Bernie yeah. What do, you, what do you learn from the masters? I mean, are there are... There's obvious things they will say, but just being around them is probably an education in itself.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, just the way those guys handle they handle themselves. You know, I think a lot of one of the reasons why I was able to be uh, chosen to play with these these guys is because of their, um, because of my personality. I'm a humble individual. And one of the things that they always told me is that I had a really big beat. And they were just really happy that, that I was just, number one, swinging and swinging hard, that I was playing unapologetically, which is kind of from my gospel. I think that particular spiritual connection that I have to the music is is less cerebral, which is something that we, we tend to push our musicians towards and during this time. Um, but mine was, my approach was always from the heart. Just hearing the story is number one. I mean, I've gotten so many, <laughs> records uh, and, and stories from hanging out with Lou Donaldson him giving me a ride back uptown and him talking about, you know, Thelonious Monk and Buster Williams, having an opportunity to, to tour in Italy with him for, like, two weeks. That was amazing. I mean, the stories alone is, is what really makes you, at least what makes me, become even more proud to be a part of the uh, the legacy.
1: So what do you take from them – and impart on younger players to play with you.
2: Definitely, the, the 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 power of of being humble and being um, an active listener. That's one of the things that I know for sure. Buster Williams sat me down and really just talked about how you have to really allow yourself to be completely engulfed into what's happening in the now, and not allowing anything outside influences to hinder or influence the way you're going to play. Yeah, those, like, I mean, even Curtis Fuller, I mean, the opportunities I had with him, you know, for those very couple years of me being in New York, they just always talk about, you know, keeping the music first and being around musicians who are like-minded and not just going for certain individuals because they are, they have the hot name, you know, so to speak for the times. But, like, what can they contribute to your music and how can you... Mm -hmm build over years um, with the same individuals so you can help develop your sound.
1: Speaking of your sound and development, you know, this is your debut album. If we talk in 10 years, what are you going to want to tell me has happened?
2: Hopefully I've had an opportunity to continue to make music that is social music, and I say that with all respect, that my music has been able to uh, reach people in, in all different social settings. And hopefully I've had opportunity to, um, you know, sell some records and, and hopefully bring some more jazz listeners into the music. Um, that's one of my biggest, uh, goals. I mean, my particular generation outside of the musicians are not necessarily huge jazz, avid jazz listeners. Although we respect the, the idiom and know where it comes from. My, my, one of my goals is to kind of bring more people, my social and academic, uh, pedigree bring them into the music. So hopefully I've, you know, I've gained an audience nationally and internationally in 10 years.
1: One thing about an education, there's formal education, there's playing gigs, but there's seeing people perform. What jazz shows have you seen that have really left an impression on you?
2: Oh, wow. You know, it's funny. I I don't get a chance to go out as much as I used to, but I certainly can remember being in New York and checking out some Terrence Blanchard uh, uh shows um, and at that time uh, Eric Harlan was playing I've checked that out and then you you know one of the, the best things about being in New York is that either after your gig or whatever you get a chance to go down to the local spots which is like Small's jazz club and then I've recently seen a good friend of mine Chris Beck him play with Dwayne Eubanks Quintet that was like amazing um, these are my peers um, another good friend of mine is uh, Jerome Jennings um, he's also another uh, great drummer who plays all around, play with Christian McBride. And so I check out a lot of my peers, you know, I think one of the, the best things about living in New York is that all the jazz clubs are normally in the same vicinity. And so you're able to kind of on breaks, kind of go check out and see who's playing, you know?
1: So let me ask you this. Why do you love jazz?
2: I love it for the freedom, the freedom of expression. I think it's probably the most expressive, Um, music that, uh, you know, has really given me the opportunity to convey a message that I probably wouldn't necessarily have the freedom to in other genres. I really appreciate the, the harmonic development that can happen, you know, between the bass and the piano and then also the rhythmic concept of the interaction between the piano and the drums. There's just something about that particular swing beat that really gives an opportunity to be open, and that's one of the biggest things that um, lessons I've tried to learn from playing with Kenny Garrett is just how to become open so that whatever phrase or, or idea that you have, it can come out. And so I feel like jazz gives me that ability. So let me
1: ask you this, everyone has a version of you, your family, your friends, your fans, but you know yourself best.
2: Who do you think you are? I'm a black man who is searching for peace, freedom of expression, and opportunity to continue to serve God in all various aspects of my life. Right on, I like that. That's a great way to wrap everything up.
1: And hey, thank you for taking some time to talk about your career, the new album, I appreciate
2: it, man. Hey, Joseph. I appreciate you. For, thanks for the call. And glad you're enjoying it.
0: Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Kansas City, Washington, D.C., and spots all over the globe, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to McClenty for his cool, his time, and his stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, Go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends.
2: Neon Jazz.